Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, the premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America. Get a grip. My guests on this episode are Aaron Fennell and his dad, Dave Fennell. And Aaron wanted to, uh, he called number 90 a long time ago because he wanted to, uh, Aaron, you need to explain that one because of all the numbers in the world to be the, you know, like a, like a positive number or a, or a big number for you. Explain to everybody why number 90 is the one you wanted. Well, for obvious reasons, if you're a farm kid with a, with a, with a good head on your shoulders, because the premier tractor manufacturer up until 1983 had a tractor in the early and mid-60s called the Massey Ferguson Super 90. And when I was a child... We had one, and it was kind of the go-to tractor on the farm and had a level pair with one ever since. So, because of the Super 90 and having one on the farm as a kid and everything else, the man responsible for that is on this podcast, too. All right. So, Aaron, uh, your dad is on here, Dave, yep. Dave Fennell. And, Dave, uh, yep. I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting you a couple times, and it's always been a pleasure. And... Uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit of your background and, and uh, you know how long you've been farming and, and where your love for equipment comes from? Well, I have lived in the Dexler area my whole life. I've never even had an address other than Dexler. And started farming full-time right out of high school, which, looking back, probably wasn't all that smart, but that's what I did. And uh, then uh, farmed with my brother for a while, and then the family sold the farm, and then I went to work for a fertilizer and chemical dealer in Dashler for a few years, and then I had a farmer offer me a job and come work for him and his family, and I've been there ever since, and that's been uh, right at 20 years or so. So you've worked for the same farm for the last twenty years, then? Yeah. Okay. So let's let's kind of go back over that a little bit, and let's talk about you know some of the some of your memories from from you know farming in the early days. So talk about how you got the farm started, how you know your dad started farming out there, and and what that looks like, and how that whole thing kind of came together, and and how you know what are some of the good times you remember early on, and. And then, you know, what was it like going through the 80s um, out there in Deshland, Nebraska? Well, when I was in uh, junior high, Thanksgiving vacation was always spent combine in Milo with a 21A Massey Harris combine and no cab. It, life was good. Mm-hmm. You just sit there and you eat that dirt all day long. <laughs> and then in the uh, the eighties, uh, it, it was it was kind of tough, but it we we didn't have it 
near as bad as a lot of guys did. Yeah. And what was some of the what were some of the factors in the in during the eighties where you say you know you didn't have as bad as some of the guys did? What what were some of the factors there on the farm that, that kept that from being such a bad time for you? Well, my uh, dad and grandpa they had they had all the ground was paid for except for one quarter. Yeah. That 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 helped a bunch. That makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. That makes a real big difference. So when you were uh Tell me about that on the combine. That, that always – I see those pictures, you know, those black and white pictures of guys out there on, on the, the cabless uh, combines, and they got a handkerchief around their face, and they're just blowing and going. And, I mean, explain that experience to me. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you really hoped for a win because otherwise you just – you know, no cab and the Peter house is right there in front of you. And, oh, you just eat that dirt all day long. And you had a hanky wrapped around your face and your head was pulled up. And you didn't dare move your neck because anything that went in there would just sit down to your shirt, go down to your belt. And it just kept building up. So yeah. I would never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand that. Can definitely understand that. So, talk about a little bit of the diversification you had in your farm. You got, you know, you grew up in Dashler, and I, I drive through that area, and it's a heavily irrigated corn and in beans and milo and, and wheat and everything out there. So talk about the early days in your farm and, and some diversification you had out there. Well, when when my uh, dad and grandpa were farming, we had. Well, we had about everything at one point. We had uh, milo and wheat and oats and dryland corn and alfalfa and cattle and hogs and sheep, chickens. Chickens. So I see where where Aaron gets his love for the sheep from. Chick- the, the the chickens that was Grandma's project. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, the sheep the sheep pretty damn deeply rooted, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, I can. That's all you talk about when, when we're not on here. If you're not talking about equipment, you're talking about sheep. So that's uh, kind of how that works. But <laughs> So, Dave, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys out there that are, that are farmers, but they're not necessarily equipment guys. And there's a lot of equipment guys that aren't necessarily farmers either. But you're, you're, you're a combination of both, and I, and I really find that to be – I don't want to say it's a, an oddity by any means, but you're a – your knowledge of farm equipment and just how, how deep that runs in you is always something I've found very impressive. And, and now, I mean, Aaron is a walking encyclopedia of the same stuff. So talk about your love of equipment where, where that comes from. Well, it kind of started with uh, my, my grandpa Fennel. He, uh, he would, uh, go to sales and buy something and use it for a little bit. And then he'd, he'd sell it. And he always, uh, he was kind of an, like an early day jockey in a way. I mean, he, he, uh, he would buy and sell a, a lot of stuff that, you know, not, not like the main tractors and stuff. And, but it was always, uh, just, little odds and ends stuff that we use part-time, you might say. 
So he's so he spent most of his day on the internet surfing around trying to find people to buy buy equipment. <laughs> it's yeah, it should be called Mark's list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, our uh, uh, telephone service and. Until the mid seventies was a crank with an operator in town, so yeah. the internet was kind of sparse. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so, talk about his process that he went through. I mean, I'm sure you're pretty young then, and and, and probably don't remember a lot of, of, of how he did it. But you know, back in the day when you know we look at it now, it's pretty simple to go buy and sell a piece of equipment. I mean, it, it doesn't take much. You just got to put the deal together, right? As far as making the contact goes. So, what was it like then? I mean. Like you said, he was kind of an early day jockey. How how was he, you know, using the equipment? Then how did he find the buyers on the other end? Were they just people from town, or did he, you know, did he have a little lot in town, or how how'd that work? No, he uh, everything was done out at the farm. He, uh, man, he, I I don't even know who these people were, or how he got a hold of them, or anything. But he he could always get rid of, you know, what what he wanted to get rid of, and. But I, I just don't understand. I really don't understand how how he did it. But yeah. and he he was kind of into uh, like four wheel drive trucks, like the old army trucks and stuff. Yeah. And I know that he he had a friend up in Lincoln that would find those for him, and then he'd bring them home and we'd park them and never to be used again. So, right. like old so when I was a little boy, those trucks were still around, and that was. A pretty badass playground. I can imagine. You talking like those old deuce and a half? We had big, like troop moving type trucks. Is that what you're talking about? Well, yeah, we had like a six. What was that boom truck? Was a six by six GMC? Yeah, an old six by six GMC with a boom on it from the forties. From the forties. And what was that? There was that manure spreader truck. That was the same thing when I was a Chevy. Oh, yeah, old four-wheel drive Chevy with a manure box and old power wagons. The old power wagons. Yeah, back when they were cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there was, what, F-20s and M and just all kinds of shit. Old mini, what was that? Mini combine, right? Full-type mini combine? Yeah. Full-type mini apple swing combine and just all kinds of shit. Yeah. Yep. So Aaron, Aaron talk. when we had go, when, go ahead. when we had farm sale, we had uh, five five old massive combines, and two of them were twenty ones, and three of them were twenty one A's. The twenty ones had a draper head on them, which was now I guess is hot stuff. Yeah, <laughs> ironically <laughs> enough. Yeah. And back in the day, they said this draper ain't worth a shit. I want an auger. <laughs> Yeah, you can't. Yeah, that's funny how that's flipped because the Draper market is is far and away the the preferred head out there now. So, Aaron, growing yep. up on the farm, you know, growing up on the farm like you did, doing the different stuff that you did on the farm. What were some of the favorite machines that you had out there with that uh, working with your dad? Oh man, well, one of my favorite tractors that we had was we had a, a forty eight forty. Four wheel drive Massey that in its day was it was like eighty, eighty one, something like that. You know, they had a big square cab on them and all this room and they were far and away. They were as nice as a Steiger, but better because they were Massey. 
I never, you know, I was a little tight, so I didn't ever operate it. But just the good old Super 90, that was that was my rig. Whenever we'd haul hay or whatever, Dad would be on the 11:30, and I'd be on the 90, and up and down the road, and moving bales and doing whatever with that thing. Has that always been your favorite part of the farm? Is the equipment part of the side of it, or is it? I mean, what what is the what's your favorite part of, of farming? Yeah, yeah, I've I've always enjoyed work, working on equipment and that kind of stuff. So I I enjoy the livestock too, but now I work for a guy that's got hogs and hogs and more hogs, and some some days it's all right, and some days it isn't. Right. <laughs> Just depends on what you're doing, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. So that that that's where that's where the walking and machinery encyclopedia all started from. Okay, we'll talk about that a little bit. Talk about what, what you know, growing up, what it was like hanging out with your dad and and, and doing all that stuff. Well, I can remember as a kid, anytime. You know, if it was a weekend or I happened to be home or something like that, and we had to run for parts, I would clean out the literature rack, okay? And I would bring that stuff home and look at every picture and read about half of it. And it didn't matter what color it was, what, you know, because between, even though we were Matthew guys, you know, we had short lines from the deer place or we had short lines from IH and, Alice and you, you know, you just make the rounds of these dealerships getting parts and what have you and cleaning out the literature rack and, you know, flipping through it and being like, Dad, check this out. Dad, check this out. And I even, well, and if I was with my mom, you know, if we went, if I was with mom that day and she had to run to Walmart or something, I would make her stop at the dealerships, run in quick grab some literature and we'd take off. So I was, uh, it was, and it's just always been there. And it was, you know, I remember a picture when I was, a, you know, I wasn't even one yet of dad reading farm journal and holding me in his arm. And I'm actually looking at the magazine course, you know, I wasn't even one year old, so who knows, but, and that was always my favorite picture. And Greg Peterson's always, find that picture, find that picture. I want that picture. But mom's mom's look for it. She can't find it. But anyway, so that's where I was from. Man, I was doing that when I was five, six years old. And when I was in, I think, third grade, um, we did a project writing business letters to companies. So naturally, what do I do? I wrote to Massey. I wrote to Case IH. I wrote to Deer. I wrote to Deutz Alice. You know, all these different companies requesting their old literature. Because I could go into any place and get the new stuff. And ironically enough, Deer, I never heard back from Case, <clears throat> by the way. John Deere sent me everything of their current stuff, like cotton pickers and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that was pretty cool. Dude's Alice 
no, I take that back. They were Agco by then, so it must have been fifth grade. They were Agco then, and they sent me um, all their current stuff, but like a shitload of posters. Like a lot of people might not know this, but like the R fifty two R sixty two Gleaner, they made a they made that same combine in a white labeled version called the twenty five hundred and twenty six hundred. And they sent me the coolest damn poster. I still have it. It's in my garage at home. And it's a black background with a with a 2600 white combine parked over dry ice, you know, so like the fog's coming up. And then in the fog, it says Row Warrior. Cool as shit. And then, God bless them, for this very day, Matthew Ferguson sent me every piece of literature from the 70s and 80s, early 80s, the specific stuff I asked for. They sent it all to me. And I had just a mountain at this point of literature in my room, okay? And at some point, and Dad and I like to tease my mom about this all the time, she cleaned my room one day and threw it all away. <laughs> threw all away your literature? It was, it was, she did. She threw it all away. It was very traumatic. I can imagine. So now, your mom found now your I stash. Now I buy it on eBay. When, yeah, yeah. Now I buy that old stuff on eBay, and I had it for free once upon a time. So that, so that's where that's where I got it from. I remember, you know, just being a little kid and just constantly well i've even said on the podcast before you know i think that first one we did when you were still working down south and you know two of my heroes as a little bitty boy were two of our salesmen for pete's sakes oh yeah you know yeah. that's kind of a right that's kind of a writing guy. on the wall deal right there had the uh the matthew guy and the ih guy had the gold chain the rattlesnake boots yeah i remember that guy yep oh yeah so Dave, how, how real deal, man? No, Dave. When you look back at, you know, you've been in this game for a while now. You know how um, how long you've been farming? Oh, basically since '73. Okay. <clears throat> so how thing how have things changed when you start looking at just the way that you how, how you look at equipment now? How thing how how have things changed from the early '70s till here we are in 2018? Well, there's absolutely no comparison. Now, it, you're basically just one jump away from not even having to sit in the seat of a tractor. So. <laughs> That's coming soon. I, I really don't care for that myself, but that's, I can see where that, that, that's what it's coming to. So. so I always give these guys a hard time with their auto steer and all that stuff. I says, you know, there's they're just... It used to be when you had to follow that mark and stuff, you took pride in what you was doing. Now you sit in the seat, you push resume, and away you go. So I I I, I prefer to do it the old way. You like you like the old markers out there on the outside of your planter, huh? Well, until you get too close to the fence, but <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. But at, at least you know I you know I'm I'm not complaining about all this new stuff but you know 
like I said, there, there was pride involved in just seeing how straight you could drive. So, and now you can look out the back window all day and drive straight too. Yep. I've got a, I've have a couple uncles that are that are plumbers, and one of them said the other day, you know, I was, he was talking about something. It sounded just like what you're saying. You know, he was like, used to have to be a craftsman. There was a craft involved with plumbing, and and. And today, now you just run a line from every every faucet down to the main water line, and and it's just that simple. There's no there's no soldering of anything, or or uh, you know running running pipe like you like you used to. It's just you run a plastic hose from point A to point B, and you're done. Because it's just these kids these days don't know understand how hard it used to be to be a plumber. And there is a lot of truth to that because I you know. And Aaron, we we see this a lot. We talk to we talk to service managers a lot back home, you know, back here in our at the dealership, and the buzzer's going off, telling them to shut down the, the tractor because something's about to blow up, and they'll keep running it, and let the auto track go down. They'll stop and wait for someone to come out and fix that part. Oh, absolutely! <clears throat> <And> <laughs> absolutely, it makes me laugh. The first, oh yeah, I remember selling a planter to a guy. Man, this would have been like say around 05, 06, maybe, maybe 07, middle, the middle 2000s, 10 years ago. And we we're sitting there building the planter, specking it out. And I, I said, well, you want markers, right? No, I got guidance. I said, well, what if the guidance isn't working? Well, then I ain't going to plan. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, then I guess that's that. And, from, and I get it, you know, from the modern world, he wants that data and all that business and all that. But, damn, man, if you got a plan, you got a plan. True, true statement. Dave, when, Dave, when you look at that now, so in there, we're collecting data for everything. You know, we're collecting data for soil type and, and moisture and, and, you know, yield maps and, you know, your population. And so, I mean, just collecting data upon data upon data. What's your take on that, and, and how do you think that's changed farming? Well, I think there is a point where you can collect so much of that crap, you, it makes your head spin, you don't know what to do with it. But as far as uh, the guy I work for, we variable rate planting, we variable rate fertilizer, and all off the soil test and different soil types and all that. And it it's made a vast difference. I mean, you know, there's no need to dump a bunch of fertilizer on a bad spot that's never going to make over 150 bushel an acre anyway. So right. it it I think it, it it's made things a lot more efficient, but you you just got to know how to use it. Now, that's that's the key statement is understanding that data and you know I knew a guy once back when I was working in Kansas. I talked to him in the and he'd come in every morning and they'd drink coffee around the table at the dealership and there might be. 10 or 15 of them in there at a time and uh we were talking about something somehow we got on data collection he goes man i've been collecting data since 1993 and i don't know what to do with all the data that i have and and so you're talking a guy that's got 20 some years worth of data and trying to figure out what to do with it and i'm like what have you do you have like a consultant or something you talk with i ain't gonna i'm not gonna give this guy all my data i mean why would i do that i'm like then why do you collect it? Why do you collect it then? What are you doing with it? If you're not doing anything with it, you need, you know, it's just kind of a, yeah, it makes a pretty map. It's got some cool colors on it, but you, know, you need to do something with that data when you get it. 
Yeah, if you're, if you're not going to use it to your advantage, then don't even bother. Yeah. That was the last since 73, so 1973. Uh, be what? 73 to 2. 45, 45 years. Yeah, 45 yep. years. So you got 45 years there. I mean, the ground, the ground you're farming, I mean, that area. How have yields changed over over the 45 years that you've been farming? There's very little, very little dry land left. You know, if, if there's groundwater underneath it, it's being used. Yeah. And you got to look pretty hard to find irrigation pipe anymore because everything's got a pivot on it. Yeah. And uh, with yields, well, we... I never really did grow too much corn. We we had a few. Well, we had what two pivots at one point, and we had corn on there. But now it's and to start with, we had milo, milo and beans. Yeah, that was a stupid move. But <laughs> there's uh, the the yields nowadays are. Well, uh, if you're if you're not two fifty or better on the corn, you're you're doing something wrong. And 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 a lot of the beans we've been able to six sixty is oh kind of average. Try try to shoot for seventy to eighty bushel. Wow. Okay. Your first very first corn crop you grew all by yourself. Do you remember that? Yeah. What was your uh, what was your yield? Yield was one hundred ninety bushel acre. Was that irrigated or was that dry land? Yeah, yeah. Irrigated. Irrigated. And what were some of the biggest mistakes you made in that very first crop? I mean, that's a pretty good number, one hundred ninety. But yeah, because that would have been what, like eighty seven, eighty six, something like that. Irrigated with a ranky pivot, that's from Nebraska. Yeah. Well, in 87, there was a hell of a drought in 1987, 1988. At least my neck there was, there was anyway. 88. Yeah. I remember that when I was a kid. Yeah. We, uh, we really didn't do anything special. Just now we don't even work any ground outside of. Well, we we started here to get a few pivot corners, and then we ridge them, and then we have to work them in the spring because we twenty four row planter will not stay on top of the ridge. So, so that that's all we work. Everything else nowadays is no till, and back then we disc everything twice, and and uh, when I was a kid, then you had to. You kept working it till you could get through with a press buster. So everything was like a garden, and then when it got dry, it, it just smoked everything. So Growing up. Do you know what a crust buster is, Kansas boy? Yeah, I bust the crust, bro. Hello. Okay. It's, it's right there in the, right there in, the uh, in the title. <laughs> uh, well, it's something kind of damn specific, so... <laughs> They have a. How long when you were growing up did you use like moldboard plows and all that kind of stuff to work the ground or did you have? I mean, what was your was that deep you know rolling dirt? Is that what you guys doing? I didn't do that. Did you plow? 
growing, growing up. Oh, did we plow and black turf? When I was a young kid, yeah, we, we plowed all the week around. And then when I got old enough to plow, my grandpa, my grandpa would lead. I would be in the middle, and then my dad would follow. And everybody had a plow. We were going around around the field. And then I got old enough that I could plow by myself. And I got sent out to the field to plow this wheat field. And by the end of the day, I had that whole, that square quarter was in a circle. <laughs> I, I don't know what I did, but my dad spent a whole day out there making a square into a square again. <laughs> and I never plowed, I, I never plowed again. That was it. <laughs> So looking back on the planters. See, that's why, that's why it's good to hear these stories here later, because if I did that, it would still be brought up. Well, there's a lot of things that you do. <laughs> there's a lot of things that you do that still get brought up. Well, that's very true. <laughs> that's right. We, we, when I was a kid, we plowed. I remember plowing one time. We borrowed somebody's plow. No, we had that one. What was that? Massey or Kate yeah. plow? Massey plow? We had both. Okay. On the eleven fifty five that one time. Right? Yeah, that was Massey. Yeah, that Massey plow eight eighty. Eighty eight. Eighty eight. So there was there was very little plowing when I was a, a pup. But we had cool shit like chisels and V blades. What we call in our country Casey a sweep, you know? Yep. I'm familiar. We had one of them. There was that was few and far between in this country when I was a kid. Yeah, they they're few and far between in our country, except for like one pocket of the world, bro. Well, yeah. like a thirty mile radius. About four stores. That's about it. <laughs> right, right. The land time Dying forgot. Wells to Burlington to Flagler. Yeah, they still use that's and they use them, and they're worth their weight in gold in that little area. Outside of that area, they're not worth yeah. anything. It's amazing how that how that works. So. Dave, let me ask you this question. This is something I've always wanted to ask a guy. When you uh looking when you're farming and you're out there, how much stuff did you do that was uh you know, kinda like the flavor of the month thing? You know, you read it in a magazine somewhere and you went out and tried it and you know, tried to be an early adopter in technology and that kind of stuff. Not necessarily technology but planning practices or something like that, you know. University of Nebraska rolled something new out or K State rolled something new out or whatever it was. How much of that stuff did you adopt? Like, for example, I'm going to plant my wheat instead of seven and a half inch centers. I'm going to do, I'm going to do ten inch because, you know, Oklahoma State said they did a test plot and the ten inch had better yield. How much of that stuff played in how you planted and, and worked your fields and those kind of things compared to just, you know, this is kind of the way we've always done it. Well, we, I, I never really was too much into that. It, I just kind of figured, well, it this way has worked in the past and I don't know why it won't work today but one thing we did do would yeah, if the conditions were right we would uh, double crop the wheat stubble with sunflowers and uh, yeah, I guess that was that was about as far out as out there as I ever got really well you planted that no-till 
Grayland corn on Vanessa's in the wheat stubble. That was oh. and that was double crop, right? No, 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 no. That was just wheat stubble. That was planted into triticale stubble. Oh, after we mowed that off out here, yeah. We we grew some triticale for a guy for seed, and that is the most fun stuff to combine ever. It gets about six foot tall, and you cut it off four inches above the ground. <laughs> You just chew it all through there. Yeah, yeah that's that's a new. Uh, I don't want to say it's new, but here here of late, it's been a uh, a lot of guys have planted that to chop into into silage, and there's a lot of a lot more yeah. lot more triticale dropping dropping jumping into the scene. You start looking at you know custom cutters out there in the harvest run. You ever wanted to do that, Dave? You ever want to go on the harvest run? Yes, I I really did, but too late now. No, it's never too late. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ain't, not, ain't nobody going to put up an old man like me. <laughs> I, bet, I bet we could find somebody. There's probably somebody going to listen to this podcast. I bet they'd be shocked. They'd be like, holy shit, this guy actually greases things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I bet we could find somebody. I bet we'll, someone will listen to the podcast here, and they're going to give you. they're going to give you a call. And I know how to set an eight fifty master, but they—they probably live their life on the harvest run by now. Yeah. So I win the lottery. <laughs> yeah, you we're loading up. You go, you go run the eight fifty master out there. It's the first time it breaks, you're gonna be like, oh god, I can't finish the run now because I can't find parts. Oh shit! We got Mount Hope, Kansas, get parts. Well, you can definitely do that. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think every building downtown has got every part Massey Ferguson has ever ever made set in some place in every abandoned building. There downtown. you go. Plus, if I win the lottery and I'm spending money on early '80s Massey combines, I got plenty of money to fill van trailers with my own parts. Well, you, so. you could do that. Have your own mobile parts on site. Yep. Well, I, something else that we did before a lot of people were doing it was ridge till. Yeah, that's true, but I couldn't keep the planer on the ridge. Didn't work with a full type planer. Because Matthew's got so much power, it just dragged that planter just floating midair, see? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we had the guidance wheels on it and everything, and finally I I, I just gave up. But through the field, I just dropped the marker down and followed the mark, and somehow the planter ended up on top of the ridge. If I follow the mark, I I don't know how it worked to this day. But if I followed the mark with the planter, the planter was on top of the ridge. That's because of that pride and rose thing. Because yeah. of that craft Casey's talking about. Yeah, there you go. Dave, you still watch a lot of auctions? You go to a lot of auctions in the area? Oh, not too many. I I I go to a few, but I, I, I used to go to more, but it gets old standing around. I, I don't I don't want to buy anything anyway, so there's really no fear going. I can sit at home in my recliner and drink coffee just as well as I can stand there and freeze. That's true. 
I've been at plenty of those auctions standing out there, and, and it's it's uh, quite miserable. He did go to two auctions this spring, though, for he did do a little order buying for a certain somebody. <laughs> Here, go buy this. Go buy this piece of shit for me. I'll haul it 400 miles home. Yeah, one auction I went to, the guy had three combines, and the top dollar was 500 bucks. A fond memory I have as a child that's equipment related. My mom grew up in Lyman, Colorado, and when I was, you know, oh man, I was pretty little. We would always, you know, we'd go out there at Christmas or sometime a holiday or whatever and every once in a while dad would swing and equip the yard we'd drive around and oh look at that oh look at that you know as we got further west and there was different stuff driving through western kansas eastern colorado and we would always go check out the dealers in Lyman. mass dealer south of town right no east east north north northeast northeast and the deer dealer was north, because yeah. I still drive by that, where yeah. it used to be. We always go to the Massey dealer and the deer dealer and look around. And that, and I can remember one time, we saw a couple things that floored me. First of all, we went to the deer dealer, and there was a 4240 there with no three-point. And I just could not get over the fact that that even existed. And there was a, what were they putting together? Was that a nine section? A nine by seven? 11 by 7 V-blade. Huge. That thing, it looked like an octopus rolling, you know, rolling down a hill. And then they had a, like a 9400 drill or something that was, you know, a 50-footer, 60-footer. And what I noticed, coming back to Grandma's house from our little tour, at the tire store, was a big bud getting tires put on it. That was awesome. The old big bud. Was that before? That was before the factory that burned was, down, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, several decades. <laughs> 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 but that, for, for me, that was better than going to Disney World and seeing Mickey Mouse, man. You know when you're when you're that young and you're that passionate about something like that and then you wake you get to move into a career that that allows you to still do that every day and have that much fun you know that's got to that's got to be a neat feeling for you oh absolutely it, it's just a little bit weird don't you think <laughs> slightly obsessed yeah you're you're wealth of knowledge but i see where you get it from your dad's got a pretty good handle on on the equipment business and 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 necessarily the uh, the equipment part of the business. Oh yeah, absolutely. And even though even though we were, you know, so massy when I was a kid, which apparently got very very deeply rooted to the marrow of my bones, way more than him, <laughs> but. It's not that, you know, it's whatever. Be like, oh, yeah, those have such and such, or this and that. And it's just like, holy shit. So I wouldn't I wouldn't know nothing if it wasn't for him. Yep. 
no, that's, that's a true statement, fellas. So, well, I think we have got one heck of an introduction here, boys. So, anything else you want to throw out there? That's what I can make of you, Dad. Nope, one thing I'm good. All right, Aaron. Well, if I'm uh, if I'm out cruising the interwebs, how would I how would I hook up with old Aaron Fennel? At Aaron Fentel on Twitter. I'm on there far too much sometimes, but always on there. And uh, call me, text me on my cell phone, 308-760-1193. And, and Dave, what's your Twitter, Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> if I have a flip phone. So to get a hold of Dave, it's 55577 space zero three three one and you're in you're in like Flynn man Dave I appreciate you being on yeah, my, my handle my handle is if I didn't call you you don't need to call me <laughs> well, Dave I appreciate you being on the podcast man well thanks a lot I enjoyed right, it man. well that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast I'd like to thank Aaron and Dave Fennell for being a guest on this podcast Remember, if you'd like to continue these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at Moving Iron Podcast.com. You can visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. You can find After the Bell with Chip Nellinger and Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit at Moving Iron LLC.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcasts, and articles from Moving Iron Blog throughout the year. There'll be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, I'm Casey Seymour. And I'm Aaron Fennell. Let's go move some iron. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here